0: Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We're a church for imperfect people only. We're in our series, LA is Corinth. Because as we walk through 1 Corinthians, we see so many similarities between that city and ours. Like LA, it was a port city filled with wealth and immigration. It was a sports capital second only to the Olympics. Like LA, it was extremely sexualized with Aphrodite as the goddess of love and her temple just outside the city. A part of worshiping her was sleeping with one of her 1,000 priestesses. Lastly, like LA, the church was deeply divided along political lines. Sound familiar? And the whole time, Paul is trying to call the community of Christ to live Christian values in the midst of this culture, and it's a fight. As we walk through this letter, we are encouraged and called in the same ways to live for Jesus while living in L.A. All right, go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll uh, start our time together. God, thank you so much for uh, this community. Thank you that we are a church that um, can talk about hard things. And we pray that this morning you would, again, um, bring us to a place where our heart's and our, uh, our whole person is open before you, uh, desiring for you to lead us, desiring for you to knit our hearts together in marriage, or to save our hearts for the people, for the person that you want us to spend the rest of our life with, God. Uh, we're grateful for you. I love this church. Um, it's just a really beautiful community. I love that we can hold the hard things, uh, the sad things, and then celebrate with the pool party and me spiking on everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, again, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. And as a short review, Paul opens up chapter 6 with the secular view on sex. And remember, Corinth is extremely sexualized. They worship Aphrodite, who is the goddess goddess of love, thousand temple priestess-prostitutes. And so there are these slogans or mantras infiltrating the Corinth church where, where they too are saying what the secular world is saying. I have the right to do anything I want with my body. And we hear about that, right? It's my body. I could determine how I use it in terms of who I'm attracted to and how I want to experience my sexuality. Another thing that the Corinth church was saying is food is for the stomach, the stomach's for food, and God will destroy them both. Basically saying that sex is an appetite. Just like you eat when you're hungry, you have sex when you're feeling, you know, aroused. And... Um, and that God doesn't care about what we do with our body. God will destroy our body. His care is for our soul. So we could do whatever we want with our body. And those were some of the views of sex that the Corinth church had. Uh, maybe the liberal parts of the church. And then there's this conservative part of the church. Sex is dirty. Which is often a common view of, view of sex that we all grow up with if you grew up as a Christian. Um, and so, encapsulating this is First Corinthians chapter seven. Is not it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman? A super conserved view where sex is dirty, uh, it's shameful, and that's why you're saving it for marriage, right? So you only do it to the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And the most pious Pharisees would walk down the street with their eyes closed when they saw a woman. They would bump into trees and donkeys and you know, homes, and then they would wear their bruises as badges of honor in their piety. So that was, again, this view of sex that is dirty. But last week, we talked about the biblical view of sex, that sex is powerful. And Paul elevates sex way above uh, the secular view, that it's cheap, but also above the Christian view, that is the conservative Christian or Jewish view, that it's dirty. He says the two will become one flesh. And he's talking about sex not only being um, something physical, but the word flesh is the totality of a person. The physical, the spiritual, the emotional, um, all of who we are are coming together in sex. That Tim Keller um, talks about it being a radical donation of your person to to the other. A permanent marking of someone else's soul. And in the context of marriage, it's this beautiful thing because even when me and Nina are apart, we're still together. That a piece of her has been given to me and a piece of myself have been given to her. It's all of us coming together. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as he goes on, he gives very explicit and almost um, instructions about sex and marriage that almost makes us want to blush, you know? Uh, outside of this context, I can never see myself just saying, uh, saying these words to our congregation as like marriage advice. But this is what Paul says. He says, now in the matters you, ha- you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and the other has that. So Paul is basically uh, sharing with us that in marriage, we are not to withhold sex from each other that our body is not our own, we are to give each other uh, our bodies. And when I think about this in my relationship with Nina, Paul is, I I think about how there's only certain things that I can healthily have from my wife, right? And and our bodies is one of them, that there is no, there's not many healthy physical expressions of sex that I get to enjoy outside of my marital relationship but our our relationship is unique in that there's these kind of protected areas that I can only have from Nina right this feeling of attraction of flirtatiousness of being wanted those are unique to what I gift to Nina and what she gets to gift to me and when we ho- withhold that from each other we're depriving each other of something that we're supposed to give each other in marriage. And so I think about how um, in temptation, you know, Paul says when you do this correctly, when you yield your body to one another in sex, in affection, in flirting, in attractiveness, you help each other fight temptation. And um, there's this, you know, quote that I think about from this woman's conference where uh, one of the speakers said, if you don't Show affection to your husband, and someone else will, and it will be a woman. And I think in the same way, if you don't allow your wife to feel attracted and to care for her or listen to her well, someone else will, and it will be a man. One of the ways we guard our marriage is by guarding these things that we're supposed to have out of each other and gift them to one, one another willingly. And in a recent conversation, you know, I was telling Nina, like, I don't want to feel affirmed um, in all these other spaces of life but not feel affirmed by you. That's, that's really dangerous for our marriage. I don't want to feel attractive in other places of life but not feel attractive to you. And ultimately, there's no, never an excuse, right, for cheating or for um, uh, adultery, but... It guards our marriage when the thing that we're supposed to give to each other, we give that. So I'm going to invite the Whitmores and the Changs up and um, uh, allow them to talk through this question as well. And then we'll do these short sermonettes as we did uh, right now. And then we're going to do primarily this Q&A on on questions about marriage with our our leaders uh, of the church. And so there's a mic for each couple. And um, again, as I look at this passage, it's kind of like a proverb. It's, it's instructional. I don't think it's the incarnation of Christ or talking through the Trinity. I think it's supposed to give us practical advice on how to do marriage well. And that's why we're doing uh, this format today. So, uh, so as we look at this question, thoughts about yielding your body to each other and the importance of a healthy sex life in marriage, I uh, just wanted to hear some of your thoughts on that and what that looks like Um, in your marriage in in practical ways. Okay. (laughs) Your daughter's here. Your daughter's here. So this will be fun. (laughs) No no problem. Kelsey is like, go for it, Dad. Just share everything. (laughs) Uh, That's why you're here. To regulate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you have a mask on. (laughs) No,
1: because we have sex, that's why she's here. Yeah, this is true. Oh, oh, yes. This is true. This is true. (laughs) Go ahead. All right. Um, Yeah, so uh, Chrissy and I really strongly believe that uh, sex and marriage is is an amazing gift from God to us um, for the purpose of procreation, intimacy, and pleasure. Um, It's something that embodies the physical, spiritual, emotional, uh, loving aspect. Uh, that God meant for us as a couple, um, that closeness and intimacy that also reflects Christ in the church. Um, but this, this passage is really uh, focusing on this sense of mutual respect and uh, mutual submission. Um, so from a real practical point of view, um, I think sex in marriage can oftentimes be misunderstood uh, be distorted and a lot of Christian couples will uh, share that this is a common problem within marriages uh, because th- this topic is not uh, easily um, accessed uh, to, to, for couples to openly talk about and or share with others. So uh, I'll just bring a, a practical example of some some of the conflicts that can occur and how to apply some of these biblical principles. I think a very common scenario is one spouse uh, desires to have sex and the other is no thanks dear, I've got a headache. So that's a very common scenario. And I think in that applying biblical principles for the person who's saying, who's hearing uh, no thanks dear, I have a headache tonight, I think it's important to, um, again, exercise mutual respect and submission. Uh, we, we need to have our own self-respect and self-esteem and identity intact because it's very easy for that person to feel offended. And once you feel offended, then it's a real downward spiral, right? You feel rejected. Your spouse just said, no thanks. And then... And uh, and you're like, okay, you know, you're um, you're withholding from me. Uh, you're you're not meeting my needs, and, and so, and then you can counterattack in some other way. Uh, so that can get to a pretty vicious downward spiral. So it's important that the the person receiving the no uh, mutually respects that the the, the spouse has a, a reason and out of that respect, uh, to submit. Um, and on the flip side, for the person who's saying, no thanks, dear, I have a headache, uh, I think also to examine yourself in terms of, you know, is this, is this a legitimate headache? Um, of course, if it is, then right on, to be able to f- express yourself and, and not feel like pressured into something. Uh, but if, if it's not a real headache, then is it, some, is it a, uh, an avoidance? Uh, is it a signal of unresolved conflict? Is it a passive aggressive uh, motivation? Uh, are you weaponizing this uh, to get back at or to punish? And we've seen that a lot in, in couples that it's a very powerful tool to try to manipulate uh, but you can see how that can also lead into a very, very vicious cycle. Mm. Uh, so again, exercising the principles of mutual respect uh, and mutual submission, uh, both my body is not mine, it belongs to Chrissy, hers is not hers, it belongs to me, but uh, as it's not my demanding of it, uh, mm. but my wanting to honor her and out. I'll do one another in love and honor and respect. Uh, and it's that, that dynamic that, that uh, is being played out um, in this kind of situation. Mm,
0: yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. The Whitmores, did you guys prepare anything for this question? You don't have to, but...
2: I mean, I think, I think one thing that comes to mind, and I love the way the passage talks about it and the way Dr. Ken, you just shared, is there's a lack of specificity and um, you may have heard the phrase, comparison is a thief of joy, and that definitely translates to the bedroom. And so there's a lot of advice out there about uh, you need to have the, you know, this many times a week to be healthy or this much initiating by this person or bring in this sort of spice or whatever. And unless you're talking about it and figuring it out between your individual marriage, um, it's, it's just not gonna be a healthy outcome mm. um, if you're doing it from either secular wisdom or just comparison. And so I feel like that's just a, a warning that, um, that might be helpful, that has been for us.
1: And I would also say that in, in our generation, it was like never talked about. <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad that now, even in premarital counseling, we're, we're talking about it. Mm. Uh, we, we want to encourage couples to have the safety to create the space to talk about, you know, what, what brings you joy, what brings you joy. And so uh, I think it's, it's, we're moving in the right direction, but there's still a lot of unsaid taboo things that are still around.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll refer you for that session on all my premarital couples. Uh, I love how the Bible talks about yielding to one another because when I think about the best sex you can have with someone, it is a yielding of your pleasure, of what you desire, of of yourself to the other and then holding what the other person's desire um, is and saying, I want to meet that need. And you're voluntarily meeting uh, that other person's need, and that person is voluntarily meeting your need. That you're putting the other person first. They become your focal point. You think of them, and you commit to um, their breath and their movements, and you handle um, their spirit gently. And, and then there's this unified experience of ecstasy. And that's the best sex. It's not in porn. It's all about that person meeting their needs, and everyone else is a, a servant of that. But in marriage, um, there's this, like, how do I hold your needs above my own? And how do I do it in a voluntary way? Um, How do I think of you first? And and I feel like that transitions into really the rest of marriage as well. Me and Nina, I think one of our best um, ways of growth in our marriage is, is in how we resolve conflict and how we share our needs with each other. So now it's, it's not just like us fighting and I'm saying, you need to do that, you know, or he, she says, you need to do that. That still happens sometimes, but at our best, right, at our best is I, I hold my needs in a vulnerable way in front of her. Uh, this, is, this is what I, I'm missing. This is what I need from you. And then she holds her needs in front of me. And it's not commerce. It's not point, a point system. It's not me meeting your needs so that you meet my needs. It's me then releasing my needs and say, I'm going to hold yours. And her releasing her needs and she holds mine. And we selflessly give and and take from each other. And, And even when she's not meeting my needs or not meeting my needs the way I hope she does, that's not my focal point. I'm just saying, God, am I meeting her needs well? And let me tell you that when I do the dishes and swift, (laughs) <laughs> which are her needs, she finds me extremely attractive. That's like when I'm the sexiest, you know? It's, it's when I'm swifting my very best. Um, I, think, I think that yielding, that two becoming one, is, is probably the most important principle of marriage. How do we yield to one another? How do we voluntarily let go of our rights, our privileges, what we desire, and come together for the other? And as they do that for us, it's a beautiful relationship, right? If one person's doing it, they're just getting dominated. If no one's doing it, neither, there's no two. There's no one, there's just two. But when both are saying, here's my need, what's yours? And let me hold yours first. You know, um, in our last conversation like this, I said, Nina, how do I prioritize your needs, not just above mine, but above all things? Above my, my kids, above our ministry, above volleyball might be the hardest one. And uh, how, can you, how can we prioritize each other's needs above everything else? So I wanted to ask, um, you know, the Whitmores and, of course, the Changs as well, what, what does it look like to give up two-ness for oneness? And how do we allow, how do you allow yourself to be shaped by marriage instead of clinging on uh, to your autonomy?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think this is, uh, this is the hard work part of marriage, right? I think when you um, think about coming together, becoming one, um, like you were just talking about, Wilson, I think the, the thing that came to mind for me was love languages, right, of, of uh, what are my wife's preferences, her needs, like Wilson was saying, what's, what's being held out in front of me um, to respond to? And I think um, I was thinking about this this morning uh, how how difficult that becomes in marriage, but how easy it is when you're dating and engaged because when you 're dating and engaged it's like, oh yeah, of course I love doing what they they love doing um, underneath that there's there's kind of a there's a selfish motivation there's a there's a intent of like well, because I want to marry this person like i want I want to progress in the relationship i want to you know, and but on top of it, it's, it's, uh, it's caring for the other person's needs. Once you're committed for life, then it feels a lot harder to say, like, yeah, I want to do what you want to do, not what I want to do. Um, and so I was thinking about, so for Wilson, Nina's acts, acts of service is her number one love language, right? So when he Swiffers, man, she loves that, right? For my wife, when we got married... Um, we, I discovered quality time was her number one love language, which um, <clears throat> is not my number one love language. But um, what I've found is that as I have chosen to press into that over the, the years of our marriage, um, and to, like, I think I grew up feeling like uh, in a family that it was okay to just kind of do my own thing, be independent. Um, and w- I, we still had good relationships, but um, when I got married, I realized, like, Kristen wants to, like, it really loves her when I don't go do something with friends, but instead hang out with her. She likes it when I hang out with friends, too, but um, often I would need to prioritize spending time with her. And what I found is, like, uh, the longer we've been married, as we've had kids, I've really grown to to love spending time Um, with my family way more than (laughs) doing all those other things that I, before I got married, would have said, man, these things are so fun, you know? Um, And so I I think that becoming oneness is that her preferences actually have started to become some of my preferences, not all the way. Um, That's kind of a a deeper one. So like with COVID kind of slowing down and I'm thinking about how I can work outside of my house um, again it's been really hard for me to not work at home every day because I just love like being in the same place as my my wife and my kids when I bet you 15 years ago it would have been like, oh yeah, I'm I'm out, you know, (laughs) like I'm going to work. Um, And so there's that. And then of course there's like little trivial things like, um, you know, Kristen didn't like avocados or guacamole before we got married, you know, but now it's like one of her favorite things. Uh, So there's lots of things like that too that I think, If when you press in, it's like God has some really sweet things for you, even though you think it's not your preference right now. And that doesn't mean everything. Right. Like, of course, you're going to still be your independent person and you're going to have your own preferences. But you're going to be surprised that there's a lot of things that if you just hold them out, like Wilson was talking about over the years. We've been married 16 years. So it's not like it just happened overnight. But there's things that I've really come to enjoy that I never would have thought, you know.
2: Um, one quote that I read, I think it was in Tim and Kathy Keller's book on marriage, Tim is quoting someone else, and he says, this man is saying, my wife has been married to five different men, and they've all been me, <laughs> and um, I think about that, and in how in, in the thought of two becoming one, and how if you think about yourself, whether you're married or not, five years ago, <clears throat> 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you're probably saying, like, I was different person 15 years ago than I am right now um and that's true when you're married too is you become a different person I am a different person now than who Jonathan married and so I think in the process of becoming one and making that work even even as you're changing is um excuse me You know there's a ton of things that help us change obviously we hope that our relationship with the Lord is a thing that influences our growth and change the most but who we're working with the media we're taking in and the books we're reading and the advice we follow and the friends we hang out with and the church we go to and the way we spend our time our hobbies all those things are helping change who we become Um, and our worldview is being shaped what we think about politics how we make decisions and so I just think as we become different people and as we change and grow, Jonathan and I fight to make each other our number one influence outside of the Lord. And so it, it's becoming more and more of a fight, I think, because we're just tired <laughs> and busy. And so, and you know, the older the kids get, the more time we're spending with them and the more they're a part of our conversations during the day. And so we really need to reserve time at night to to really talk to each other are date nights. And that is, is actually hard, even though it's enjoyable to connect, even though quality time. Once the kids are in bed, I'd rather just watch TV. And so would he. We have our separate couches and we just turn on and veg out. But some of our most important conversations that have shaped huge decisions in our life and our worldview and how we're processing COVID and decisions we're making, happen in those spaces and that's that's been like one of the very specific ways that we fight for oneness is just making space to be the biggest influence like in each other's life
0: thanks so much for sharing um kristen Chrissy. okay okay uh, kristen again um you know i think about the two and one and i i think that it's, it is a surrender of saying like When I, as Dr. Kellen was saying, whether we have sex tonight is not entirely my decision. You know, it's both of our decision. And I I don't get to be the final say on this. I get a say, and we're one, and you get a say. And I think about my my couple friend who are deciding whether or not to have kids. And they're really strongly positioned on opposite ends. But I just kind of told them, like, loosen your grip on that decision. Because you're not two, you're one. So you can acknowledge I don't want kids, but also acknowledge that it's not fully my decision to make because we're married. You can acknowledge you want kids, but also acknowledge it's not fully my decision. There's a lot of sacrifice in giving up in marriage. Nina's mentor told her, you know, men don't have to give up a lot to have an amazing wife, but women have to give up everything to have an okay guy. I <laughs> wanted to leave you with that. <laughs> All right. Um, Uh, As I transition, a thought. So, third question is: What does a complementarian view of how does a complementarian view of marriage play out? So, at our church, we do believe in leadership and subordination, and and we think about Ephesians chapter five, where Paul says, "Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord." And when you hear that word "submit," don't you think of like the Taliban taking over uh, the rights of women, where they have to wear, where they have to cover up their whole? body, where they can't leave the house without a note from a man, where they can't get educated. I mean, the word submit just has so much uh, baggage in terms of being dominated and enslaved and pushed down. But we want to, I want to take that word today and just move it from our secular perspective into a Christian perspective, okay? Just for a a few short minutes. First, I want to submit to you that the Holy Spirit submits to one another. And they are the ultimate model of what relationships looks like so we hear jesus say i don't do my will i do what i see my father's do- doing or or not my will be done but your will be done or the father has sent me jesus is fully god he has this, he's he's he has the essence of god and yet he is submitting to the father but what does submitting look like in the trinity there's this father the father here the son submitting to the father but what does the father do He comes under the sun, and he says, I'm going to lift, you're going to be the name above all names. And every uh, tribe, tongue, nation, creature will say that Jesus is Lord. See, in Christian submission, there's a mutual submitting to one another. As it says in Ephesians chapter 5, before it says, wives, submit to your husband, it says, submit to one another. That Jesus, even though the disciples are submitting to him, he bends down and wash his feet. So there's this dance. Of saying you're my leader. I'm going to submit to you. And the leader coming under. To elevate. To lift up. To give voice to. Um, also when we think about Christian submission. It's never forced. It's never a domination. There's never a taking away of free will. If anyone should demand our allegiance. And obedience as God. But he's. His his hands are always open. In in a sad way and in a beautiful way, you can always leave him. He doesn't chain you down. And in the same way in Christian leadership, people aren't there because they're forced to be there. The leader doesn't get to overpower the other. He inspires her or she inspires the other to follow and to be a part of their journey. So when, he, when Paul says, wives, uh, consider yielding your body. What is he doing? He's appealing to the agency of the person. He doesn't say, husband, ask your wife to s- yield her body. He talks to the wife because he respects her agency. When Paul says, wives, submit to your husband. Again, she, he's talking to the wife and giving her agency and deciding to voluntarily submit. The word "submit" in the Greek has a has um, entrenched in it, baked into it, this willing, this volunteerism. It's not slavery. It's not forced. You're allowing yourself to submit. And again, the husband is to lay his life down for the wife, to consider her needs as his own, and this bending over and lifting up. One of my greatest, maybe, prides as 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 a husband leading Nina. And is that over our course of marriage, she has been more vocal. She is more opinionated. Her convictions are deeper. She's able to create um, more freely. She's more sassy. She's come into uh, her individuality in our marriage. As she, as she allows me to lead her, not because I'm smarter or better, but simply because we're emulating the Trinity. Um, it's this volunteer, volunteering of herself to me and me saying, I am to bend my knees to wash your feet. I hope that helps with our perspective of what it meant, means to have a complementarian view of marriage, what it has meant to be a complementarian view as a church. You know, Kristen and Christy preach for us, not because we're egalitarian, but because we believe that um, leadership for me means that I elevate their voices. That's what it means, that I lean in as a whisper. Like Kristen whispered to me last Sunday, hey, I think the singles might be left out. And I come up, and in the benediction, I say, hey, we're preaching about singles in two weeks, next week, right? Because that's how we're called to lead. So with all that said, what does, how does compliment, the complementarian view of marriage uh, play out for you and your marriages, and just would love for you to reflect on that in some practical ways. Um, yeah,
3: well, so that's really well said. I think of, um, I don't know how many of you guys have been listening to the Rise and Fall of Marsville podcast by Christianity Today, but it's all about, I mean, there's a big chunk in there about just um, the way that the pastor um, you know, formed the church around the way marriages and families were going to happen. And um, and I think just uh, it can be common in the Christian world for um, kind of uh, this subtle uh, expectation that for some reason the the man's opinions va- are valued a little bit higher than the wife's. Um, and that's just not true. Like there's no, there's no inherent value um, to my opinion, more than Kristen's or Kristen's more than mine. And so because of that, I think practically if we're coming in with, on, on equal footing and we're trying to submit to each other, it's inevitable that we're just going to have to have lots of conversations, lots of communication, some disagreements. Um, and, uh, and you know, I think, um, I think, again, Wilson, I don't want to repeat what you said, but my favorite people, to work with. My favorite character quality of people is kind of that, that teachability, that humility, um, good listeners. Uh, those are the people aren't you most attractive to hang out with, <laughs> people that are constantly growing and learning and, um, and don't start with their opinion as their first foot. And I think that's what we, um, or that's what, that's what we both want to do in our, in our marriage. Um, And uh, anyway, so one, like, practical example, this is from a long time ago, when we were first married, um, our first couple years, uh, (laughs) so like I said, I kind of grew up in a family, especially when I was in high school, where my parents kind of let me act independently a lot, and that went through college and as a young adult, and one of the habits that I formed, not a bad habit necessarily, but, like, was when I got to Saturday, um, I'm a pretty structured person all week long, but Saturdays was like my day to just go with the flow. You know, like whatever <laughs> happens on Saturday is great. It's a day to rest. Um, we'll see what happens when I wake up, you know, whenever I wake up. Um, but when we got married, I soon realized, Kristen was like pretty, she tried for like <laughs> an hour or two in the morning to let that happen. But um, after a while, every Saturday by about 10 a.m., she's like, what's the POA, the plan of action for the day? You know, and I'm like, what? you know, like it took me because I'm a I'm a man I'm a little thick headed. It took me like quite a few weeks to finally be like, okay, this is a regular thing. Like every Saturday, I'm gonna have to like come up with a plan. And she would always say like, I'm okay with like resting. I just need to know that it's like from two o'clock to four o'clock that we're gonna rest. Today, you know, and so. So for me, that was like work, you know? So I woke up on Saturday, I'm like, okay, I got to do a little work in my head. I got to come up with a plan so that my wife enjoys her day and, like, we could have a good time. And so I think that's just kind of a, a silly example, but it's, it's a, it, it was actually real. I mean, it was really good for our marriage that I was willing to say, hey, I'm not going to force my idea of Saturday on you, right? Like, let, let's kind of figure this out together. The irony is, um, during COVID, Kristen was like, I think I'm finally figuring out this Saturday thing, like just like doing nothing, like being in pajamas all day. And guess what? We now have a 13 year old daughter who wakes up and is like, "What's our POA for Saturday?" So I'm like, "See, now you know what it feels like."
2: Payback, hey, karma. Um, Jonathan said something yesterday when we were talking through some of these things, and he had ju- we were talking about the first one about sex, and he just made the statement. Um, like trust flows from the bedroom and as I was looking through these questions I just realized that when we got to this one the submission and sacrifice that um, if one and two are happening consistently and well and we're talking about it a lot number three doesn't feel as hard so if intimacy is healthy and well and we're talking about it and we're yielding and if number two we're allowing each other to to influence each other most, we're making space for those conversations. It's not that submission sacrifice doesn't happen, but I don't feel like we feel the sting as much. Like it I feel like it's a lot of it is the results of putting in um, attention in the other areas too.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
1: Maybe it just and oh, a yeah. little something. Yeah. Sorry, that was off. questions. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, agree with everything said. Um, but there's an aspect of spiritual authority that I think sometimes we as guys uh, don't hold on, don't really um, own. And that is uh, to, to be the shield and protector in the spiritual realm in prayer for the family. I think that is part of our leadership, uh, to take that... Uh, stance against the enemy Mm. uh you know you're not getting to the family unless you get through me kind of stance is i think also a a biblical sense of the spiritual authority uh that we oftentimes neglect Mm.
0: yeah thank you so much for sharing that i'm gonna read the last passage and then i think dr ken and chrissy will uh close our our time uh to the married i give this command not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If, my, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. And so the question is, um, what are some advice on overcoming thoughts or a path towards divorce?
4: I think um, the first thing would be, don't panic if you have thoughts of divorce. I think uh, for us, we've been married 36 years. Um, And there there are seasons which are dry, and there are seasons when we... um, and there were, I think I can remember two, two specific seasons at the seven year mark and at the 24 year mark mm-hmm. and, uh, and I call them season because they weren't just a couple of thoughts here and there it was just a long duration of time mm-hmm. where I feel like you know if you really look at it you know me being me him being him and we're just butting heads and we are causing deeper wounds in each other's lives how can God want that and um, starting to justify it but um, And when I had thought that for the first time, I panicked um, because I'm a Christian. I don't think about those things. That is not an option. Um, but to realize that this is a normal phase sometimes in marriage that you would go through um, is great. If You never have to go through that. But when you do, don't panic. Um, it is not about the thought. It's what you do with that that matters and one of the things is do not isolate um, be in community it, with trust friends and families that you can confide in and talk about your thoughts and your doubts and what you're thinking about um, that's really really important seek counsel um, whether it's through therapy or talking to your pastor or leaders in the community That's really important, and ultimately the most important part is seeking counsel with God and really praying and asking God, you know, you are the one who brought us into this marriage, and you're going to be the one who's going to keep this marriage going. Um, What went wrong? I'm willing to change. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Show me what it takes, and I will do it in obedience. Um, And God will step in, and he will help and there will be growth, and incredible growth. Um, so,
1: yeah. um, I, I'll just share w- one common thought that happens a lot in married couples and even engaged and, and boyfriend, girlfriend, dating relationships, uh, and that, that feeling of the feeling feelings gone feeling, uh, the, the romance, the passion, uh, the, the, the stars in the sky feeling can dissipate and go away. And to many of us, that causes us to emotionally freeze. Like, oh my gosh, you know, that, if that's gone, where, what, what, where is our marriage, where is our relationship? So I just want to share with you a, a brief uh, thing that really has helped me a lot when, when that happens and also advising others. And it's called the rubber band principle. Can I share rubber band principle? Okay. So Chrissy's going to hold the mic. Uh, Feelings is something you cannot control or manipulate, right? You cannot bring it back if it's somehow gone. But what you can control is value and behavior. So we have feeling, we have value, and we have behavior, three things. Feelings you can't control. So value means that I value Chrissy as my beloved, my bride, daughter of God, precious. She is my treasure, uh, and that's her value. And oftentimes when things don't, when the feelings are gone, it's because the value has kind of uh, degraded, right? My, my, my pr- v- perspective of her, my view of her has diminished Next to value is behavior. Okay, if you value that of that person, is your behavior commensurate with that? Are you treating her with respect? How you speak to her, does that uh, reflect your value? How you're considerate of her and uh, the time spent and putting her needs and all that. So are you walking the walk? Are you showing her the precious person that she is through action so if you have if your value and your behavior are things you can work on if you can get those in in gear then in the rubber band theory you've got three vectors that are pulling if you've got two that are pulling in this direction the feeling will follow mm. so right the value and behavior is pulling The feelings will follow. And we've seen that time and time again. When the feeling seems to be gone, check your value, check your behavior, and it'll pull your feeling back. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I I know it's easy uh, for a church to, a suburban Christian couple and family, to just come to church and want to be the perfect family. You know, everything's okay. We're doing great. But I hope that Renew can be different for you. I hope that we can share our pains as a family, um, that we don't have to be put together just because we're married. And so, um, and so as we take communion today, I, I would hope that we remember that no matter what stage of life we're in, we need to come around the communion table to ask for forgiveness from the Lord, from each other, and to participate in experiencing his grace and extending it to one another. Our, our wife or husband will be the one who cuts us the deepest, will be the one who says things and it causes the most pain. And it's in forgiveness and grace that we see a marriage really flourish. And so I, here's what I'm thinking. If we can take communion together, and if you're married, just kind of raise your hand, and maybe the people around you can just extend their hand to bless you this morning. And then I'm going to have um, um, uh, Dr. Ken, if you don't mind, pray for the husbands. And Chrissy, if you don't mind, pray for the wives. And we'll just kind of bless them during this time, okay? And, and we'll receive a blessing. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about singleness. The really cool thing about Paul is that he, while he elevates sex and marriage, he does not de-elevate singleness. He elevates that as well. So I'm excited to share about that with you this morning. All right, so um, I'll, I'll pick up some communion cups, and then um, and then you guys could just go ahead and pray for the husband and wives, and um, and then we'll I'll, I'll administer communion to us.
1: Heavenly Father, I just want to bless uh, the husbands in our community. Uh, what, a, what a privilege and res- per- uh, uh, responsibility that we as husbands hold uh, to be able to emulate uh, Christ-likeness as we um, treasure, protect, and um, build up our wives. I pray for each of us here that we understand that the source of that is you, uh, that it is you who will give us the the love, the perspective, the strength, the wisdom uh, to be able to do that uh, in a godly way in the way that you've called us. Uh, I pray that all of us would uh, also have a uh, be able to forgive ourselves uh, for how we can fall short and mess up uh, receiving God's grace to continue on uh, because no one can fill this role. No one else can be you in this role as a husband and as a father. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: Father, we thank you. We thank you that um, we're under your authority we are under your umbrella of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And all the heavenly blessings is there for us. And we're under that umbrella. And in the, under that umbrella, we can thrive. We can dance. We can be in full joy and become who we are as uh, children of yours. Mm. So we thank you that in marriage, we can go, go under the umbrella of our, our spouse our husbands, and um, and in that we can thrive as well. And it is such a gift from you because you have intention for us to have an abundant life, not just in eternity, but right now mm. and experience you. Thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.